Go ahead and find Psalm 46. We're into summer here, so um, in terms of teaching, we're going to bounce around just a little bit. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 46 today. Um, next week, I'm actually going to be teaching over at uh, Redemption Tucson, and Tom Zimmerman will be um, teaching Saturday and Sunday um, next weekend out of 1 Samuel. And then we're actually going to take several weeks, and we're going to go through some scriptures about um, people say, so how does this church function anyways? And uh, when you're here a while, you just assume everybody knows, but um, we don't. So we're going to talk a bit about eldership and um, the leadership in this church and the way it functions and um, who they are and what they're supposed to be like and actually why it actually matters for us um, as a church. And that will take us um, right on through the end of June into July for that. Um, when I was in, uh, actually, I think it started early, grade school. It was junior high, high school. I remember it. Um, college, grad school. Um, whenever I take a test, I didn't, wasn't thinking about doing it, but I, I, I chew on my, cor- I don't know how I did it. I did this, I chewed on the corner of my sweater, and I couldn't, it wasn't until I was like, like in junior high, I realized, why do I have all these holes on my sweater? And I realized that it's, whenever I took a test, I would chew on my shoulder. Um, and uh, I don't know, everybody's different, but before I ever take any tests, I get, I just get awful stomach cramps, just um, usually starting the day before and the night, um, up to the test, and just these horrible stomach cramps um, that I would get. On the outside, looking calm and confident um, and doing my best. Um, but inside, um, uh, there was this, uh, this pain that pointed to anxiety, this deep anxiety that would show up during those times. Concerns and worries um, for all of us at times pile up, and they all eventually exhibit themselves somehow. Um, whether we just shut down, um, some of us just go to sleep, um, uh, some of us obsess over something, when we're worried about something, something strikes us and strikes some anxiety in our heart, um, we maybe get consumed by it or we get overly involved with it to try to deal with it. Um, we can just start posting on the internet. Um, and then there's health issues. They're not always related to anxiety, but some of our health issues are. We, I know people that get, um, when, the, when they get uh, just worried, their back goes out, and it's just purely an anxiety-driven um, condition, um, headaches, whatever it might be, all these different things show up. Anxiety causes damage um, beyond that. It causes damage to our souls. Anxiety brings, um, brings upheaval into our, our souls. And there's lots of sources that can generate anxiety today. Um, we could spend the next two hours just listing them. It would be easy to do so. Um, whether they come within our own families, the things that bring anxiety for us and stress, um, our neighbors, a co-worker, um, things in our city, things, I mean, some people just get, have a deep anxiety just about the potholes in Tucson, so, you know, um, actually, I hit one the other day, I thought I ruined my tire, it was a, it was a cavern. Um, our nation and our world, we are just inundated with things that um, bring anxiety, that's just what they do, um, they strike at our heart, um, our world, our nation, and our churches as well, I think, um, are critically anxious. I just notice it. It's, um, it's not supposed to be that way. There is a, a deep, deep unrest that runs through people's lives today. Um, it shows up all over. It seems every couple of weeks that there's a, a new issue that rocks the boat. Very real ones, but there's something new in it. It stirs up the seas that surround our lives and 
creates these fearful waves and and then another one comes and another one comes and it just um, overtakes us sometime. And the truth of the scripture is that the people of God are supposed to be in the midst of that and look different than everybody else. Um, and I'm afraid often that's not the case. We're not supposed to be shaken by it. We're supposed to be steady. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't care, or that we're not compassionate, or that it's not very real. But we're not to be anxious. Scripture's our favorite verse. Be anxious for nothing. Um, what are you supposed to do with that? It's like, do you just get rid of it? I'm just not going to be anxious anymore. It doesn't it work for me. Um, but we are anxious. And some of us are very aware of it, and some of us bury it, but there's this deep anxiety that runs in us, and it shows up in so many ways. Um, like I said, how can that change? It's not as easy as just, I'm just not going to be anxious anymore, because it just doesn't usually go away that way. But Psalm 46 actually speaks to the anxiety in the world, and it speaks to the means by which to be freed from that, to actually be unshakable people um, in the midst of lots of things. Psalm 46, uh, it was Luther's psalm. He based his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, on this psalm. Um, his friend Philip Melanchthon was a, a great Lutheran theologian, one of the original ones. Um, whenever they were troubled, they would say, let's sing Psalm 46 together, and they would sing this. So when I look at it, um, this, this particular psalm, Psalm 46, most believe that the background of this psalm, it's reflecting back on the, uh, the siege of Jerusalem, which happened in 700 B.C. You can read about it in 2 Kings 19 and 2 Chronicles 32. Um, it describes the Assyrians coming on the, the city of Jerusalem and surrounding it and laying, laying siege um, to it. Uh, a siege is just basically they surround the city, the city because they, if they go out and fight them, they're going to get beat because we've, we discovered there's 186,000 troops surrounding um, the, the city of Jerusalem. So they would shut it down so nobody could get in, but if you can't get out and get food and stuff, eventually the city gives in is what, what happens. So the Syrians had, had uh, surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Um, they're described in some other places that the Assyrians were so numerous, they were like a flood that just poured in of people. Um, they put on this siege. Um, Second Chronicles actually tells the Assyrian king would call out blasphemies and challenged God to take them on. Um, and he would shout these things over and over and over again. And they were puffed up um, people. And the people in Jerusalem in that, that day, Hezekiah was the king at the time, um, they were faced with trouble, um, potential starvation. If you read about um, when Jerusalem was laid siege to in AD 70, and you read about what the people did to survive, it's horrible um, over time. They were afraid of the uh, Assyrians and afraid of capture. Um, the Assyrians were, um, I can describe them as cruel. They would, they would kill the men and take their heads and put them on spears and line them around the city to show that they had taken it over. Um, they would torture and abuse people. Um, they were known for actually taking the kings and they would skin them and they would post their skins up on the wall. Um, and the fact is, it wasn't like this something that they'd heard far away. Just 20 years before this, the Assyrians, the same group, had come down and had wiped out the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. And so the southern kingdom, the people in Jerusalem, were very, very familiar with the Assyrians and what they could do. And here they were surrounding um, the city. And terror and destruction were fresh in the thoughts of the people. Um, if there was a cause to be anxious, this was it. 
Um, they're in their city, pulled back in, and this was going on outside of them. The psalmist in this psalm says, God makes wars to cease, and he breaks the bow, and he shatters the spear. And if you, if you know the story, in the morning, and he actually even refers to here, it says, in, in the dawn, God will help her when the morning dawns. In the story, the people got up in the morning one morning, and they were gone. They didn't see, the, and so they went out to look for him, and they found 186,000 Assyrians all dead. And an angel of the Lord had just come right through, and the king had fled back um, to Assyria, and they were saved. Um, interesting that same king, um, Sennacherib, um, just a little while later, his, um, he's worshiping his idols, it says in the scriptures, and his sons killed him at the altar. Um, Psalm 46, this is the backdrop of it. And it tells what do we do when the anxiety begins just to overtake us when it sweeps over us and we feel like we can't like, deal with it, we don't know how to respond to the things in our world. Um, and it will happen tomorrow, by the way. Um, it may happen tonight. Um, those things come along. Keep in mind, as the Psalms talks about the city of God or Zion, it's talking about the place of the temple. And the place of the temple today is what? It's us. And so we can take ourselves and put it in here. As we talk about God being in the temple in Zion, God now sits with us. So let's take a look. Um, and we'll put these up on the screen. Just it's um, the psalm, it just repeats itself. It creates these bookends. It's just a really unique psalm in terms of creating a picture for us. And it begins and ends with this. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge. And then at the very end, verse 11, on the other side, it says, God is our fortress. He's a refuge and a fortress. On both ends of the psalm, the psalmist wants us to understand that right from the beginning and all the way to the end, he's a God that is absolutely strong, that we can find our hiding place in him and be safe. And then he says he's present with us. Verse 1, it says he is present with us. And verse 11, it says the Lord of hosts is with us. Not only is he the stronghold, this place, but he's present there with us as well. Interesting, the, the concept that if we're laid siege to by anxiety, for instance, who is in the midst of us under siege as well? Well, it's God because he's with us. But he can break that out anytime he wants, so he's not really under siege. So God is a refuge, verse 1 and verse 11. And then he's also present with us, verse 1 verse 11. So these two key concepts. And then right in smack in the middle, he wants to make sure we don't forget it, so he puts it in there again. Verse 7 says, God is our fortress. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. So three places in the psalm, he wants us to get, what does it mean that God is our fortress? We don't have fortresses these days. But this, this issue of a stronghold, this place where nothing can get in there unless God says, okay. Nothing can get through. And then we're not there alone, but we're in there because God and all that he is is in the midst of that place with us. And so three times the psalmist wants us to pay attention to that. The main point, in all places and all times, he has gathered himself around us and in the midst of us. So if we're str surrounded by all sides like these people were, by trouble... God is in the midst of it with us, but he's also a stronghold against us. So while reminding us in the psalm of the strength and presence, he also just begins to describe the things that cause trouble. We don't ignore the fact that there's trouble in the world. There is, and the psalmist and God is well aware of it. So it talks about nature coming apart. It talks about nations coming apart, um, and we can see that today. It's happening all around us. Verse 2 and 3, it says, The earth gives way. It says the mountains fall. It says that the waters rage. 
Anybody go, anybody here ever go um, get caught in a huge wave and you lose control, just gets you? Um, or uh, I was uh, raft, river rafting on Cascade River, which is um, up in um, northern Washington, and it's this uh, class five section, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's like the river literally looks like it goes downhill. And um, we're in this raft, we're going down it, and I remember we hit this hole in the the, um, the center of the, the raft just buckled and just got, was getting sucked down. And this lady, I remember, I didn't know who she was, she was a friend of somebody else, and she fell in there and she was like, all of a sudden it went from this raft with no water into like five feet deep of water with this thing just getting sucked in this hole and it's churning and I'm just looking at her down under the water. I couldn't do anything about it, you know? She's just stuck in there and all of a sudden she went flying out in the air and landed out in the river somewhere and kept floating down. It's this water is incredibly strong. It's amazing. We go rafting. I tell people, don't get out of the raft in a shallow spot because you get out and think it's not moving fast, and people break their ankles. They step in rock, and the water pushes so hard. And the psalmist gives us this, this, this picture of the earth in, this, in just unrest, mountains falling down, floods raging. You, know, you, can, you can put off an enemy. You can't hold water back. Um, that's what that's that's just the tragedy of floods. People, interesting at this time uh, when the psalm was written, people generally tended to settle near the mountains. Interesting enough, not near the sea. Um, the ancient um, the people at that time, uh, the, the, the around the mountains was a little more fertile, and it was protected. They could get up against the mountains from the enemies. The sea was seen as a place that was uncertain, and dangerous, and and this unknown thing. And so the the picture of the mountains, this is their place of safety, getting tossed into the sea is like their worst nightmare. That's like you have a nightmare about that. That's like, that's the worst thing they could think of. And here the psalmist says the mountains are getting cast, not just the edge of the sea, but in the, in the center of it. It's getting tossed out in the middle of it. But that's not all. In verse 6, he goes on. He says, kingdoms are giving way. Another one's rising up. Uh, it says, nations are raging. And then verse 9, he talks about the weapons of war. Um, they're being broken, but it just describes the presence of those things in the world today. Um, we live in that kind of world today. Um, kingdoms failing, kingdoms rising up, nations and people leading them, uh, raging and uh, enlarging themselves. Uncertainty of what's going on. What happens to us when we see all those things? They're all going around. And we're not paying attention to God. Or what do we think of God? I don't know about you, but sometimes I get caught up in that. And I start thinking, he just doesn't care. It's been like this for so long. Um, we're like the Israelites. He hasn't taken notice. We can wonder if God is powerful enough. Is it just too much? Are things actually out of control? Or perhaps he's just absent. And when those things begin to take over our thoughts, we, we get filled with fear and anxiety, sometimes a panic, or else uh, you do what I do, you just disengage from it altogether. That's, that's my kind of default, I just disengage and pretend nothing's happening. But the psalmist reminds us that God does care, that God does take notice that he's actually more powerful than all this. He's sovereign and that he's present. So take a look at that. It says, verse 1, it says he's a refuge. A refuge is a, a place of safety. Nothing can get through it. And he, God says, I myself am that refuge. 
So finding my, my life in him, I actually find myself in a place of strength, a place where the enemy cannot touch. And the cares of the world are, 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 are small. Verse 1, it says he's our strength. He's our refuge and our strength. Without him, we have nothing. Um, so I got like the weakest arms in the world. You know, just I was born with skinny, weak arms. Um, but we're all weak. The bottom line is that no matter what we can do, all of our abilities, our goals, all the, the things that we work hard to try to control and pull the, together, it, it all comes undone. But God steps in there and he goes, he is our strength. And when you have the strength of God, you have everything. The full measure of God's strength at our disposal. He says he's a very present help. He's not the God who I'm calling, and I hope he gets here in time because he's far away, but he's, it's, he's present. When we call it, he's already, he's already there in the midst of it. And in verse 5, it says he's in our midst. He's not distant and far away. Verse 6, he says he actually speaks into the trouble. Um, he utters his voice, it says, and the earth melts. Um, you know, it can still the, still the quakes and make them and whatever he wants to do. Verse 6 says he's greater than the earth. Verse 9, he's greater than the raging of the nations around us. He steps in, he can make the war cease. He can break the bow, shatter the spear, burn up the chariots of fire. Um, and that is the God who has surrounded himself around us. And I love this picture. It goes on here, and um, it says, uh, um, he's our refuge and strength, a present help in trouble. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the sea, though the waters are roaring and foaming, the mountains are trembling. And then he has this, he just throws in this line, says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Um, it just, it's just all of a sudden right in the middle that you get this, this picture. We all often think of um, huge rivers, right, roaring, flooding past us, whatever. Um, there's actually no river in Jerusalem. Uh, most cities are built on rivers. Lots of times they'd find a river because they had access to water. Um, Jerusalem didn't have that. There's just a spring, and it's called the Gihon. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's still there today. It was outside the walls of ancient Jerusalem. And we know the story of Hezekiah. He built a tunnel. He built a, like an aqueduct from the spring into the city, and it filled the pool of Siloam, which you hear about in the New Testament, this pool. And so um, he dug actually through 1,800 feet of solid rock to bring this, this little spring into the city of Jerusalem. Um, and uh, actually, when um, the Assyrians are coming to besiege them, it says that Hezekiah took the people and they went out and they, they blocked off the, the spring so that the enemy couldn't get to it or didn't see it. But it was still underneath the ground um, coming into Jerusalem. So here they are besieged. The, the, the Assyrians are going to be short on water. They've got this the spring. It's a small spring. You can actually go see it today. You can go walk through the tunnel, um, Hezekiah's tunnel, and you still can see the spring that runs along this aqueduct into the city. It was, it was their salvation for those people. It was a source of life, and, and in the midst of all that, they had this fresh water that was flowing into their city that gave them hope. Interesting, this particular stream that it's talking about here, it's... Um, it's not a big, loud, flowing river. Um, it's a tunnel. It's hidden. We were singing about that a little bit. It's underground. Um, you wouldn't even notice if you weren't paying attention to it. 
you didn't go to find it, it would pass you by. It's quiet. It's, it's, a, it's a stream. Our, the house I grew up in, we had a, we call it a creek. I don't, know if, I don't know what the difference between a creek and a stream is. Is there, is there a difference? Anyway, we had a creek, and it ran through our yard and, and down to this river called the Fox River outside of Chicago. And, but the stream was like, it's like creek. It's like f- crick, the crick. It was like four feet wide. And it actually had carpenter. We used to dive in and try to catch a carp, but um, they would swim down there. But this this little thing, you know, and it was just quiet and unassuming and didn't seem like much. And actually, God describes himself like that. He's this hidden, quiet, unnoticeable stream that quietly runs underground. Nations and people who claim power today, as they did then, they rage, they make a big noise, um, they command attention, they dominate the news and our minds and our hearts get filled with anxiety, but our God is silent sometimes, and he's like a quiet spring-fed stream. He's hidden, but he's available to everybody who would seek it, and that little stream of God brings life and hope and refreshment and everything we need. Our God is a river. Jeremiah 2 says, they, they've forsaken me, right? The fountain of living water. Jesus said, whoever drinks the water that I will give will never thirst. It shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And it's such a great picture, isn't it? And here in the psalmist, in the midst of all this stuff going on, says there's this little creek, there's this little stream. And it makes the heart glad because it's, it's God himself. So do we make our home by that quiet stream? Or do we camp out in the tumult instead? Does this church, us as, as people in our world, demonstrate ourselves as refreshed, source of life, filled with gladness? Or are we running around like everybody else in a panic over what we look around us? If we cling to him, though, If we stay by that spring, the psalmist tells us what will happen. Verse 1, it says that we receive help. We receive exactly what we need in the moment that we need it. Verse 2, it says that he frees us from our fear. Um, Over and over again, we all hear it in Scripture, says, don't don't fear, don't fear, right? Um, You just can't quit being afraid, can you? But when you cling to God, he frees us from the fear, takes it away. And if you ever um, can remember a time when you were terrified and suddenly somebody else came along next to you and it, all of a sudden you knew it was okay. And um, God does that. Verse 4 says, if we stay close to him, clean to him, it says we are filled with gladness. Verse 5, it says that we will be unshaken. God is in the midst of her, in the midst of what? The city of God, the holy habitation. We are now his holy habitation. It says he takes up residence in us and because of that, We're people that are not to be shaken um, in the midst of a world where everybody else is shaking. And in verse 10, it actually says that he will fill us with worship. He'll fill us with song. We'll be people that exalt him. So um, how do we get there? That's where I want to be. It's a good place to be. Um, And the world needs to see us there. Four things here, and it tells us what they are. It says, the first one, verse 8, says, Come behold the works of the Lord. Behold God's works. 
The more we take notice of what he does, the more we find peace and rest. And he is working all the time, um, all through our day, and for those who pay attention to it. Um, Ann Voskamp wrote that book, A Thousand um, Thanks, is that what it is? A Thousand Gifts, yeah. And it, just, it was just an exercise to pay attention to the smallest things, the, the, the dew drop that just caught your eye because of the sun, or your little one that gets that certain face and looks at you, or somebody that's just something kind, or a kind, all these different things. And the more you look, the more you realize there are just unending ways that God is moving and acting in us. He's around us, and we just don't pay attention to it. Learn to pay attention to the movements of God all around. So behold what God is doing. At the end of your day going, where was God working today? Where did I see him at work? And if we don't have an answer, then the next day we need to look a little harder because he's been working. Number two, it says, tells us, says, be still. Be still. My dad was um, gifted at dealing with crises. Um, I witnessed him numerous times dealing with people in trauma, uh, medical traumas. Um, we seem to always, whenever we're driving somewhere, we come upon something um, it just happened so many times, and we'd hop out of the car, and my, we'd run in, and we've had people carried into our house when I was little, and everybody would be in a panic. Um, and my dad would act almost, he almost comes across like he didn't care. He did care. He was pretty compassionate. But just his, he would just get everybody to be still, kind of take control. And I remember him saying, everybody be still. And he was thoughtful, and work got done. And when that happened, everybody else began to settle down. I was lifeguarding in um, on Lake Michigan when I was a teenager, and uh, there's a this uh, channel that ran out to Lake Michigan, and a girl had jumped into the channel and had hit her head on a log, and so um, somebody came running to get me and said, "This girl, she's dying!" and everybody's screaming and yelling, and I went running down the channel, and she was um, she had just got a, like a two inch cut on her head, um, which bleeds like crazy. It just bleeds, so it's just coming all over her. And all of her friends were screaming, and she's screaming for her mom, and everybody's yelling. And I remember I just started, I was trying to say, be still. Be still. It's okay. It's just a little cut. I'm trying to wipe it off and get her. And she finally settled down. Um, interesting. God says to us, in the midst of all this, he just says, be still. It's like we tell our children sometimes, right? Just be still. You know, they don't listen. Um, we don't listen either, by the way. Be still. Um, God is active, and he's moving and he's working, and he's stepping in, but he does it out of stillness. I don't know how that happens. Um, there's never this, you never saw Jesus um, in, in a frantic pace, ever. But there's always things to do, and there's always things happening around him. There, he wasn't um, driven by some urgency that drove him. He moved carefully and thoughtfully, and he got stuff done, and he took care of things. There was a place of stillness in him. He didn't rush around. He wasn't driven. He wasn't panicking. God says to us, just be still. I'm reading this psalm and other scriptures. Um, the people back then were, in that day, had plenty of reasons to be in tumult. Um, and that's probably more so today, isn't it? Um, we live in a world of chaos and, and activity, and just there's no end to the things that pour over us. Um, the world is always threatened by war. The earth is exploding in places today. Um, there's social chaos and upheaval um, everywhere. And there's loud shouts of doom being spoken. And strife seems to be the norm. And 
In the middle of that, God says, be still. Interesting. Just to be still. To be still like he is still. And he does that because he wants us to stop long enough to walk at his pace, which, by the way, is usually fairly slow, um, and to be able to actually hear his voice. When we're tearing around and running and all those things, we simply cannot hear him. And God's words to us, I think, is all will be well. All will be well. So he says, be still. Behold his works, be still. He follows up by saying, and know that I'm God. Third thing is to, to know him better. And it's only when we're still that we can actually hear clearly his still, small voice, his truth. And we have to sit with him long enough to know him as he shares the truth of who he is. Um, all the machinations of the world become small and powerless and impotent because we begin to know the one who rules over all of them. But if we don't stop and listen and wait on him, we just don't know him, and so we don't trust him. And lastly here it says exalt. We need to be people of worship. When we exalt and praise God, we, we, we oppose the, the tumult of the world and the enemy that would, would want to just catch us up in all that. Um, worship opposes that. Um, we remind our hearts again of the truth um, that God reigns um, and he can steal away the anxiety that runs in our hearts. Um, I, I guarantee, I know it because it's happened every week, it keeps happening and will keep happening, that the raging of this world um, and the roaring of this world is going to make its way into our hearts this week. It's going to happen. Um, and if we let it and don't do something about that, it infects our souls. And we go out in the world and we have nothing to offer because we're just caught up in the things the same way everybody else is. And Psalm 46 would tell us to behold his works. Look at what he's doing. Pay attention every day to what God has done. Learn to be still, even when we're busy, in our own souls to actually be still, not raging. To make a place for knowing him to make a place um, for worship. We do that, which are all acts, they're just pointing to God again, just looking to him. He reshapes us, as we talk about here. We, he restores our hearts, reorients them, so we actually have some kind of peace and hope to offer um, the world. At the worship team, if you guys could uh, come back up again. You can keep your shawl on. <laughs> We, we gather around the table every single week uh, to remember to put Jesus back in the center because he gets pushed aside all week long. Remember the story that Jesus is out in the boat and he's sleeping on a wooden pillow and the waves are roaring and there's anxiety and there's panic and he just simply stands up and what does he say? He says, be still. Peace, be still. That's all he says. And it's, it just, we don't need to worry if he's in the midst of that place. And so the table reminds us that he has not gone away, that his work is still active, that he's still in our midst. So let's find at the table today stillness, to be reminded that he's with us, and he gently calls our name, and that he knows the way, he knows the future, and the table is a promise that God is still at work. Lord, uh, thank you for these gifts that we get to receive remembrances of the work you did for us to make us your temple. Even as we partake together, uh, reshape us 
Remind us of your greatness. Remind us that you are in control. Um, take over our hearts afresh so that we can see things the way that you see them. In Jesus' name, amen.